Dennis Stewart, the last topic that we talked on this program was leg health. Um, Of course, there were plenty of other questions that Mm, came in mm. from listeners, which is always good. Mm, mm. But today you want to look at more on healthy legs and feet. Look, I do, Jane, but one of the things that I wanted to preface the program with was to just give some a little bit of advice again, particularly to elderly people, about things that they can do that perhaps gives them better immune strength to cope with wintertime viruses. We'll talk about that first very briefly. To NURFM's Health Naturally, uh, your calls, 49216216. But Dennis Stewart, the immune system, especially for the elderly, and, mm. and you reckon that it's actually pretty important at this time. Look, I do, Jane, and not uh, just because I'm an elderly person. Um, <clears throat> I have to admit that these days. I'm constantly reminded of that fact by my children and grandchildren and many others. But We've been watching the media every night and we become disturbed at the way in which viruses, without naming any one, but viruses per se, seem to have a disproportionately uh, dramatic effect on elderly people. And I'm concerned about that. And I have on this program mentioned my view that ageing can be resisted. And I believe in this particular climate we should look at simple things that elderly people in particular can do to lift their game uh, in being able to combat combat any viral challenge. Now, it just so happens that um, um, I'm presently preparing a series of lectures on the immune system that will be held on the Central Coast towards the end of August. And um, a number of references that I'm looking at have impressed me with some of the simple comments they've made about addressing problems, uh, particularly immunological problems associated with ageing. One book that I've used all my life in lecturing, um, probably for 30 years, Pozorno and Murray's text, Cyclopaedia of Natural Medicine. Who were they? They were two American, um, what you might call naturopathic doctors, luminaries, that uh, made a big mark on the promotion and credibility of natural medicine in their day, which still lingers. And I was looking at their text even uh, before I came away this morning, and they they had a provocative statement on the section dealing with immunology, particularly relative to the elderly. I'll read it slowly so that elderly listeners, not only elderly listeners, but anyone that's interested might take it on board. They wrote in their text, numerous studies have shown that most elderly Americans, and when we talk of Americans, we may as well include ourselves, elderly Westerners perhaps, are deficient in at least one nutrient. Likewise, there are numerous studies that show that taking a multivitamin and mineral supplement enhances immune function in the elderly subjects, whether or not they suffer from an overt nutritional deficiency or not. Now, what is he saying here? He's basically saying that one simple thing that has been shown to be credible and this text is a very credible text, and this statement would not have been made had there not been support for the statement. One uh, statement they're emphasising here is that as we get older, um, it's possible to experience nutritional deficiencies, either accidentally or deliberately, sometimes deliberately, because people may not be uh, able to access the sorts of foods and, and support that necessarily give an adequate diet, 
But what these two writers say is that ageing, getting old, being susceptible to viral challenge in particular, can be usefully, usefully combated by simply taking a multivitamin and mineral capsule or tablet daily. Now, that's a pretty simple statement with a lot of consequences, particularly where you take on board that statements or um, research has also shown that by doing this, this has helped elderly people significantly in the enhancement of their immune system and their ability to cope with immunological challenge, whether it be a cold or some other infection. So one thing that I would encourage all my elderly listeners to take on board, particularly from these two very authoritative writers on natural medicine, is the enhancement of your diet by a simple vitamin and mineral supplement, one preparation that embodies all the nutrients that are necessary for the functioning of the, of the body, available from our good pharmacies or health food stores, one hint that I would make to encourage listeners, elderly listeners, to start to do something for themselves, realising that they have to become increasingly active in helping fight um, conditions that attack them in the elderly stage of their life. A good vitamin and mineral supplement is one way of starting the ball rolling. There are other things that we will do and talk about, but we could talk about it all day. Very quickly, however, I would mention that one thing that I'm aware of increasingly, and it comes up in all the literature, and interestingly here and there on the media, we're hearing about elderly people in particular who may be living on their own, living in an isolated situation, may be a little depressed, not perhaps eating the sort of food that's necessary to maintain a healthy, vibrant, resistant body. And one of the problems is getting over to elderly people, and I incorporate, I include that myself, um, is the need, I've said it before on this program, first-class protein. Too frequently we see in supermarkets people staggering out with, uh, with bags and what other things, trays, trolleys, full of carbohydrates, sugars, fizzy drinks, what I would call convenience food, an interesting food, but very frequently, and I've made a study of this, very frequently you will see what I would consider to be deficient amounts of high-quality protein. Now, high-quality protein is necessary in order to give to the body the building blocks of tissue. You can't have a healthy immune system if your diet is based on carbohydrates, sugars, fats, and deficient in first-class protein. And people will say, oh, but I can't afford to buy uh, uh, some of the protein foods. Yes, you can. An egg, one egg with 86% complete assimilable protein, one or two eggs a day, and forget about this nonsense about eggs being a problem for cholesterol. Forget about that. It's been debunked. One or two eggs a day, that's cheap medication, if you like, that's cheap food, good protein, complete protein, that's a start. Elderly people, think about your protein if you want to maintain a healthy immune system. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart right now and Dennis, the immune system. Look, Jane, we'll just take that um, topic up further. I was speaking a moment ago about 
the importance of protein and it suddenly occurred to me that many people, not only the elderly but others, may not really know too much about protein. They perhaps know that it's necessary for the body to survive. In fact, you would say that many, many diseases around the world, particularly in underdeveloped countries, are caused as a result of insufficient protein. And interestingly, um, in most of the big uh, epidemics, even in the AIDS epidemic, um, the wasting, uh, cachexia as it's called, the wasting associated with that wretched viral effect on, on, the, on the human body, um, called for um, supplementation with protein. It became a standard part of managing people with that hideous um, virus, adequate protein. But protein is available in many forms. And I mentioned a moment ago that um, a simple form was just um, uh, taking an egg or two a day. Great protein, healthy food. If, if you are looking at a, a form of protein, there is one of the best forms of protein and one of the most assimilable forms of protein and one of the most economic forms of protein. But protein also occurs uh, in meat, uh, it occurs in fish, it occurs in some vegetable sources um, like soybeans uh, and things like that. So um, it's not something that's difficult to procure. One doesn't have to uh, restrict one's knowledge of protein to T-bone steaks. <laughs> in other words, you could get probably better protein from some of the cheaper forces, uh, uh, sources, particularly uh, using the egg. I wanted to emphasise that, Jane. Excellent. Uh, health Naturally on 2NURFM. And Peter's rung in from Fassifern. Pete, you've got a comment to make on vitamin B3. Is that right? Well, a, a question, really. Okay. Uh, from Dennis. How, yes, Peter. Uh, Hello, how Pete. Good, thank you. Good, good. Uh, Dennis, uh, over the years I've been uh, one of your star listeners and uh, yeah. with, with our magic Bible we read about good. foods and so forth. Good, good. Uh, I've had glaucoma for 20 years, yes. but uh, it's on hold now, and good. thanks to you for certain things I've been taking. Yeah, good. But now I knew in the last couple of days uh, there's a, uh, about B3 uh, being able to put hold or they're working on it, uh, I think the Eye Foundation of Australia, uh, uh, with the doses of vitamin B3. Uh-huh. Now, the, what, the question I'm asking is what foods do we eat uh, or veg or whatever it may be for the high intake of vitamin B3? Well, the, the B group, when you're talking about B3, you're talking about a member of what we call the B group um, of vitamins. There are quite a few of them. And my reading on the B vitamins suggests that, in fact, they may well be uh, better utilised if they're taken as a group. Now, this is not in any way at all negating anything that's been said, quite the opposite. Any uh, organisation that is looking at the role of individual substances in addressing a condition, uh, particularly an ophthalmological condition, I think is to be esteemed. Um, But, um, again, B3 is the member of a group, and most B vitamins occur in, 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 in grains. There's a lot of them that uh, would occur in, um, in, in the grains that we eat. So it's fairly broadly, broadly based, but I suggest that grains would be a good source. So if you're um, using you know, wholemeal bread, um, if you're uh, using grains in your diet as, as a cereal, uh, some of the B vitamins would be carried over in that. But I suggest that what they're probably looking, looking at 
um, is the isolation of the of vitamin of vitamin B three and seeing it being administered almost as an as an alternative medication on its own to achieve uh, an, an objective a specific uh, therapeutic task. Um, so I would suggest that if you're wanting to get the benefit of B three and take on board what they have said, it might be wise to follow the recommendation as to um, level of B3 that's necessary to uh, potentially achieve what these good people are talking about. Uh, I have not read the article or seen the article, um, but um, anything like that obviously excites me. What I would uh, suggest you do is take on board the fact that they're talking about B3, even though it can be found in a group, it might be more appropriate to look at it being administered on its own, if you like, uh, for a therapeutic uh, effect, always, however, accompanied by a, a B group um, selection. To give you an idea, um, the carpal tunnel syndrome frequently uh, responds to the application of B vitamins, but in particular, vitamin B6 or pyridoxin is prescribed by some natural therapists, including myself, for some levels of carpal tunnel, and it's prescribed in abnormally higher dosages, keeping in mind that the B-group vitamins, being water-soluble, are very safe. But in the literature and in the practice of prescribing B6 in high dosages, I think around about 150 milligrams, um, it is recommended that the uh, isolated vitamin B6 be accompanied by a preparation that incorporates all the B-group vitamins, taking on board the possibility that there's a synergistic effect that enhances the action of, say, one isolated member of the team. That answer? Oh, yes. That's wonderful, thanks, uh, Dennis. Yes, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll just wait for their follow-up, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Who, was it again? Uh, Who was it again, Pete, that uh, wrote... Uh, it's the Australian uh, uh, Eye Research. I think oh, it's a wonderful. based company. Yeah, uh, they announced it yesterday. Great, yeah. And like uh, two two big announcements yesterday yeah. affected me a little. Yeah. That uh, for my glaucoma, and also yeah. uh, the uh, Alzheimer's statement that came out yesterday, yes. and yes. Uh, which was quite an interesting one. I find that very exciting. Yes, well, because of my wife. Yes, well done, Pete. If you uh, have any uh, other information that you're able to yes. obtain on that, uh, give me a ring and let me know. We can then Certainly. bring it before the listeners. But thank you for sure. ringing, Peter. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Health Naturally on 2NURFM. And just before we go to our next caller, Dennis, there are a couple of things you'd like to mm. say on protein or the immune system, boosting okay. the immune system. We've, we've looked at protein, and I'll not come back to that, but one of the things also that is important to take on board is a supplement that we have previously mentioned, which is coming back into popularity. And that is a supplement that contains very high levels of vitamin A and vitamin D. And I'm talking about cod liver oil. I mentioned that a number of weeks ago. In the past, it has been used very popularly as a nutritional supplement. Um, and like many good, simple nutritional supplements, nutritional tonics, simple things, uh, they drop out of popularity because they haven't got glamour associated with it. But if you look at the history of cod liver oil... It was even used to manage serious respiratory conditions uh, as a tonic preparation um, and also to support the patient's immunology. Now, vitamin A, which is rich in, the, in, the, in cod liver oil, it has been shown these days particularly to have a significant 
anti-infective action. And I'm quoting again here from Pizzorno and Murray. And it's regained a lot of recognition as a major determinant of immune system functioning. The interesting thing about vitamin A found in cod liver oil is that it has an effect on the immune system. And this is what we're talking about here again today, boosting our immunology in the face of challenges to our immune system. Um, Vitamin A, particularly in the presence of cod liver oil, affects the immune system in several ways. It plays an essential role in maintaining the surfaces of the skin and respiratory tract. Note that respiratory tract. Here is an old use being recognised in modern uh, literature, particularly from the uh, natural medicine camp. And as such, these, uh, this substance uh, works on the respiratory mucous membrane and presents, if you like, a primary barrier to microorganisms. For vi- vitamin A, uh, once known these days also, recouping that name, once known as an anti-infective vitamin, has some potential benefit, particularly when taken as a simple, inexpensive, nutritive tonic, such as cod liver oil, in helping maintain the integrity of the mucous membrane of the respiratory system. Surely to goodness that's got to be seen as something that's important in these days. Certainly in these days. Mm, Well, let's go to Helen now from Terrigal. Helen, um, you've got a question about Alzheimer's, is that right? Yeah, just a, it's, um, it's Helen Tudson speaking. Uh, Dennis, how are you? Oh, uh, very well. How are you? Uh, that's good. Good, thank you. I'm sorry, uh, Helen is uh, probably was a bit um, not keen to talk on the radio. So oh, I was, okay. We we're, were going to come up and, and see you um, about uh, about this issue, and we still in, intend doing that. And if anybody's listening, uh, Dennis Stewart is one of the most incredible people I've ever met, um, and. Um, We've had uh, two issues before, and you solved them for us beautifully. So we thank you for. And Dennis, also uh, uh, take your time. I really want to go to your session in, on the Central Coast. Where do we hear about that? Oh, look, it's best that you ring my rooms. They'll I'll be able. To, they'll be able to give you details on that. Thank you very much. So with with uh, with mild Alzheimer's, I'm sure there's a lot of it in our community. What uh, what issues can okay. you offer for that? Well, I think. Again, and we're not talking necessarily about um, cure here. We're talking about uh, perhaps working against uh, the condition. And there is some very interesting literature um, about the the role of uh, ginkgo biloba uh, in in being a potential agent to address address aspects of Alzheimer's disease. Um, I have papers at home of a conference that was given uh, in the United States probably, oh, look, I can't think of the date, but it was, in fact, chaired by an Italian um, medical professional, a Dr. Rapin, R-A-P-I-N. Um, he made the statement in the preface to the collection of papers that were given at that conference that as far as they were aware at that stage, the herb ginkgo biloba offered the best prospects of resisting aspects of Alzheimer's, dementia. And um, I have those papers, and I have uh, subsequently studied ginkgo biloba and believe that the literature that is written um, offers some potential benefit to people, of course, depending upon 
how advanced it is. If it is advanced, you're probably wasting your time. But it is, if it is an early stage, a hint, a consideration that something's happening, uh, the ongoing use of that remarkable preparation that I frequently talk about on this program, ginkgo biloba in a standardised level, taken ongoingly, may offer some benefit. However, in recent times, in recent times, a lot of work has also been done on the herb sage, Salvia officinalis, and there are preparations in our pharmacies and our health food stores now that are based on standardised extracts of sage that make claim to be a potential benefit for handling aspects of Alzheimer's. Now, I'm talking about aspects of it, and you can interpret what you want from that. Suffice it is to say, there is no answer to the condition that I'm aware of in natural medicine, but I'm excited by the potential of those two substances in particular to offer some potential benefit in dealing with some aspects of some levels of the condition. Okay, good, and thank you very much. I've taken enough of your time. Well, that's okay. Um, thank you. We we thank you for everything you've done for us in the past. And, thank um, you. I'll call your offices and make an appointment and get that information. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And that, of course, was Helen's um, friend or relative or whatever. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, I used to to, uh, see a lot of um, people from uh, Terrigal when I was practising on the Central Coast. And I probably, uh, if these people were to turn up, I'd know them. But uh, I've seen so many patients. I practised on the Central Coast for about 35 to 40 years uh, so it's not uh, yes, not unusual do. for people to <laughs> have seen me there. Excellent, mm. and you may well be seeing them again. Uh, Meg is on the line from Maitland. Meg, your question's about fatty liver. Yes, good afternoon. Hello, Meg. Um, I'm just, um, I've just come back from my doctor, yes. and I'd had an ultrasound because yes. I had pressure under my rib, yes. and she said that I have a fatty liver and that I need to, and I choose to, um, lose about eight kilos and walk. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, and I'm going to a diet, oh, she's recommended a dietitian. but what else can I do? Okay. Well, look. <laughs> I'm panicking. Uh, okay. Um, look, fatty liver is not an unusual condition. Um, okay. And it shouldn't be interpreted as a, as a cancer of the liver or anything like that. Um, okay. It's not unusual for people to have some degree of fatty liver. Now, controversial as it may be or not be, um, the major, the major, let me emphasise that, the major medicinal plant in the world that's used to address uh, the liver in its various states of disease is the herb St Mary's thistle. Now, St Mary's thistle is known as Saliba marianum. All herbs have a common name, all herbs, however, also have their botanical name. And St Mary's thistle is also known as milk thistle, but don't confuse it with the milk thistle that you feed to your canaries. St Mary's, okay. <laughs> St. Mary's thistle is well documented as a remedy that has a benefit in fatty liver and with dietary change and exercise, in my opinion, it would be a useful supplement. I'm referring to a writing by Dr Rudolf Weiss, who was a brilliant medical professional, uh, a German gentleman who was, in his day, one of the world's experts in plant-based medicine. And I have used his text 
entitled Herbal Medicine in the whole lecturing uh, history that I've sustained. And in, in that, there's a good section dealing with fatty liver and St Mary's Thistle is called up in it. If you were to um, uh, contact my rooms, they'd happily send you free of charge a couple of pages from that text that would uh, verify what I have stated about the potential benefits of St Mary's Thistle taken in correct dosage in a standardised form, persevered with while you're doing exercise and while you're working with a little bit of weight loss. I would encourage you. I think your good doctor has given you excellent advice and going to a dietitian is excellent advice. That's good medicine. And I'm sure your doctor or your dietitian would not be in any way at all disturbed if you were to tell them that you're using the very safe, well-recognised herb St Mary's thistle as a potential benefit in dealing with this condition. Excellent. And I would just mm. go to a chemist to yeah, buy look, um, Yes, look, uh, it, it's probably best to do that. Go to your pharmacist. They would have, yes. uh, or, or, a knowledgeable, or a knowledgeable health food store, but a pharmacist yes. would have um, uh, standard, standardised preparations of, okay. of St Mary's Thistle. And I emphasise that because a standardised preparation means that the herbal medicine has a guaranteed level of the major active principle. Now, the major active uh, um, principle in St Mary's Thistle is called silymarin, and silymarin is usually the standardised constituent in preparations that you would purchase from your pharmacy or your good health food store. Cathy has rung in from Spears Point. Now, Cathy, you've got a problem with your lower back, is that right? Um. Well, Dennis, it's my husband. Oh, yes. Um, uh, in March, he suffered um, a, a, like a stroke in the lower part of his back. Yes. And they diagnosed it with uh, transverse myelitis. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't been able to walk on his own since then. Yes. Um, so he's going through all different rehabilitation. Yes, good, good. Um, and, um, and I'm... Wondering, is there anything else that I can add to his life or what to do to encourage um, the feelings back in his legs and um, and um Kathy, mm. this is obviously a very difficult question and it would be very glib of me to offer any um, any serious recommendations for this. Um, I would not like to trivialise your husband's condition. Um, It's not something that I would feel confident to be able to make at this stage any recommendations about. What I suggest suggest you do, and I know this might be challenging to you, um, you're obviously getting good care. Proceed with the rehabilitation process. Work with the people that are trying to get your man doing as well as you can. It's unlikely, if this is a neuropathy coming from his condition, it's unlikely, it's unlikely that there's anything that uh, I could offer that could help. But towards the end of his rehabilitation, uh, contact me and um, let me know how he's gone. And well, I just thought, well, um, as far as massaging his legs and his body... Is there any sort of herb I can add to a massage lotion? Well, what, what, I, what I would suggest there is that anything you do, even any physical therapy, 
should be done in collaboration with your medical managers. Um, yeah. If uh, because sometimes even massage therapy may not be appropriate uh, for the condition or the treatment that he's having. Um, ma- massage therapy is a great technique. Don't get me wrong. I work with a team of massage therapists and they do w- wonderful work. But there are some situations that are best left in the hands of the physiotherapists, the occupational therapists and the medical managers. And I think this might be one case, Cathy. Mm. Oh, thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Cathy. Yeah, all the very best with that, Cathy. And George rang in from New Lambton. Was it last time, George? And we were talking about red wine, but you've got something else that you've got to ask or didn't get to ask last time. Yeah, well, yeah, Dennis, we spoke last week about yes. red wine. Yes, yes, we did, and, George. Right, just briefly, you said one glass a day is okay. Um, how many mils in the glass? Oh, dear, dear, dear. Okay. Oh, didn't uh, we have a conversation uh, about okay. standard oh, drinks? Yeah. <laughs> um, all, look, all that I'm prepared to say is um, be guided by what uh, is interpreted as a standard drink, and usually you'll find you'll usually you'll find that um, on a, on a, a bottle of flask or or yeah. wherever it's that's the standard to work to, um, you know, a standard drink. Um, so uh, take that as you can. I can't quote off the top of my head the amount of mills that might correspond with that. Quite quite honestly, when I drink a glass of red wine, uh, I. I um, not too dominated by the milliliter content. Yeah, I'll, I'll Google it and find out that way. That's good, George. Thank you. The other thing I dare say is that if you look at a bottle of wine and how many standard drinks there are in it and you then divide that oh, amount... Jane, you're, being, you're being very technical, Jane. Uh, very that technical. Probably spo- Sorry, George. That probably spoils the use <laughs> of the wine. <laughs> now, you best, best to Google it up, George, but um, look... Uh, a nice, a nice glass. Um, so long as it's not a ridiculously big glass, um, in my opinion, is, is, would probably be good enough. But Google it up to satisfy your own um, uh, need for that. Yeah, I, I only need one after dinner of the night. That's all. That's great. Thanks a lot. That's great. Okay, a that's nice great, glass. George. I like that measure, Dennis. <laughs> Very good indeed. Uh, this is health naturally, and Michael has rung in. Michael, um, you've got a lung condition, is that right? Uh, yes. Good morning. Hello, Oh, good afternoon. I think it might be now. Um, yes, I was actually born a couple of months premature. Yes. And I've been told that that when I was born, they didn't do things that they do now to soften the lining of those babies' lungs. Yes. I immediately contracted whooping cough. Yes. Um, so they had to have oxygen in the bedroom until I was one. Yes. Um, clinically dead a number of times. But look, I have been told I've got bronchiectasis. Yes. Just wondering if cod liver oil would help with that condition? Well, I can give an opinion here, and I know that what I'm probably saying on this is controversial and many um, mainstream medical practitioners might raise their eyebrows, and uh, but that's okay. I looked at um, cod liver oil again today in yes. some of the older medical literature, and I yes. might just say here very quickly 
to particularly some of those that uh, think that mainstream modern medicine has all the answers, I am absolutely amazed at the amount of clinical, useful, uh, proven treatments that are contained in the old literature. And I would encourage younger practitioners particularly to go to the older literature to get some of the clues about using some of these forgotten medications. Cod liver oil was even used in the old days as a tonic preparation for people that had tuberculosis. Now, we're not saying it was a cure, far from it. Don't misinterpret that. Cod liver oil was prescribed because of an understanding that it had a tonic benefit. That meant the person's health generally improved. One thing that's happened today, of course, is that modern medicine has lost the concept of the tonic. A great great loss to medicine. But there are substances, and I would consider cod liver oil to be one of them, that is a tonic medication, perhaps for the lung, because there it, it played a useful role in the way that I've spoken about this morning as a natural conveyor of vitamin A, whereas a conveyor of vitamin A helping the membranes of the lung may be to resist infection and with bronchiectasis, which is characterised by infection, be worthwhile giving it a go. Again, however, mention it to your GP so that it can note it and uh, see what uh, what your result is, whether or not you're using fewer antibiotics, uh, fewer serious episodes. Um, if I had bronchiectasis, I would be happy to take cod liver oil. And all the very best with that, Michael. And our last call for today is from Belinda from Medford. Uh, now, your call is about, tell me. Granulata annulari. There you go. Yep. Thank you. Tell me about it, Belinda. How's it affecting you? It's not me. It's my sister. Okay. And um, she's been to a specialist and he's done a biopsy on it. Uh, but we're turning 60 next year, and um, he said it's not common in adults. It's mainly common in young children. OK. Look, Belinda, I'm not aware of there being anything in my system of medicine that might be able to help this. Oh, um, OK. So I think it's better to stay in the hands of the specialists because I think uh, you'd probably be spending money um, inadvisedly trying to find something in this system of medicine that could resolve it. Okay. I just she was visiting me from Sydney and I said, yes. Oh, I'll ring the radio station and, and just see well, whether or not you have any two N U R has got all the answers, I can assure you. Ring, ring them <laughs> yes, any time. Ring them any time. They, they can do. help you out. They can help you well, out. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Belinda, for your call. Well, have we got time just to wrap up yeah, what look, we've been talking uh, about today? We've been today. talking about some fascinating things today, but one thing I must say is we've spoken about um, adequate protein, good quality protein. We've spoken about the need for vitamin A in a simple supplement by like cod liver oil. But for goodness sake, listeners, particularly elderly listeners, don't forget the crucial role of good level dosages of vitamin C with bioflavonoids. My wife and myself have been taking that all the way uh, through this flu season, and we haven't done too badly. Now, thinking about Mm. vitamin C, there's particular concentrations. Orange juice? Look, orange juice is good, don't get me wrong. But again here, if we're going to use vitamin C almost as a medicine, 
one needs to take it in reasonably higher dosages so than what higher. might be found in the fruit. Mm. And there you're talking around about, you know, a, a medical practitioner or someone like myself might be working around about 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams. It's cheap. It comes as a powder, yes. uh, av- readily available, best taken with its partners, the bioflavonoids. Okay, so that's for us to do. Dennis Stewart, thank you very much for today. And you'll be back next uh, Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM. You can catch this program on podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.